Hello. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Catherine Constantinidis, and we are recording this both for broadcast on the Africa Practice SoundCloud channel, Voices of Africa, but also Stories Africa, a collaboration between Africa Practice and the World Economic Forum, designed, created to share and promote stories of Africans who are enriching our continent and improving lives through their leadership. Catherine fits squarely into that category. She's in a leadership role, really, since a very, very young age. She was the youngest of the 2013 intake of Archbishop Tutu African Fellows. She's a South African. She's an international climate change activist, a human rights defender, and many other things beside. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much. Wonderful to join you. So you started as a social activist, if I can use that term, from a really very young age when most people would have just been enjoying themselves either at college or later at university. Tell us what got you into your humanitarian work and your your social activism. Thank you so much. I think starting from the beginning is always a good point. I, I look back at my journey now and think to myself, you know, I never would have thought that I would find myself in the place and space in my life that I do now. But when I look back and I think about my very informative years as a child, even, I grew up in a very humble home. We had very little, but we were encouraged constantly to to dream and to to extend ourselves to a life of service. And that ethos of a life of service came from our homes. We would not have enough food to eat in a week, but still go out and feed other people. We would be in the car at 11 o'clock at night in the middle of winter, and we drive through the CBD of Johannesburg to give food to the people sleeping on the street. And I remember those fundamental moments in my life as a child. And growing up at home, we spent so much specifically of summer months in our small garden. But it was a garden where my father really, really instilled in my sister and I that we were not only working in this garden, but we were the guardians of this earth. And this earth our little garden was really a, a small mirror reflection of the earth and the, the help and assistance that we needed to give the earth. And I think that subconsciously, that kind of lived in my mind. And as a young girl going through school, every afternoon I was pulling other students into doing different things. We drive out to different places. We do different kinds of activities with other students, with communities, community projects, and we'd always find a way to try and do different things. And I think that that was, it was not something that I had to plan or manage to try to get done in my day. It was my day. It was how we fundamentally lived. And I think that that social activism from a young age and understanding the reality of the world that we lived in was really very important, especially at a time growing up in a country that has just formed a new democracy, a country where we were very exposed to what was going on as democracy unfolded from a home perspective. We had a very liberal parenting system where they exposed us to things that we probably didn't understand at the time, but we appreciate them now. And as a young girl, that for me was really important. How do we make sure that we make a difference, that we live a life of service, no matter who we are and where we are? And I think that at a young age, I realized that age was just a number. People always wanted to ask me how old I am. And from a young age, I learned to never share my age because if I was capable enough, I was old enough. And I was able to do remarkable things and go to different parts of the world to continue doing social activism and social justice work 
really as a young girl. And that really became a foundation of a remarkable journey I'm privileged to have lived. Well, your parents sound really remarkable. You have siblings, do you, Catherine? I do. I have a sister and a brother. Wow. And they are similar to you? They always had this sort of very clear social conscience? So they definitely have a very social conscience, moral compass. They do very different things. My brother, he did a master's in architecture and is actually a content creator. So he's doing nothing aligned to what he studied. But um, my sister and I have worked in the environmental and climate space for a number of years, often together. She was the former United Nations Youth Ambassador and uh, worked around the world as an environmental ambassador, specifically talking to the issue of climate change, especially at a time when climate change was not as prominent on the agenda as it is now. Yes, I wanted to talk to you about that. It's clearly very prominent. I've got young children of my own who are very conscious of global warming and and issues pertaining to the environment. But just a few years ago, it, it certainly wasn't as prominent as it is now. You mentioned your home garden and the influence of your parents, but there must have been something bigger than that that stoked your interest in global climate change and environmental issues. The issue of climate change, certainly I... As I've said, from a very young age, I was going into different communities, I was doing different community work, and I started to realize that the environment around me was changing. I was doing work in villages and communities where people were no longer living because their access to water had changed, their ability to grow food on the land where they originally were has changed fundamentally because of a changing climate. And I remember being probably about 18 and sitting in boardrooms with how I got into the boardroom in the first place is is still beyond Mm. me. But I would sit in the boardroom and I would really ask for people to support us in planting trees and putting out uh, mass greening programs, especially in undergreen communities across South Africa. And honestly, I know that they would look at me and they must have thought that I fell out of a tree and hit my head because why on earth would we want to plant a thousand trees in a community? Why on earth would we focus on something like global warming when this is a a northern hemisphere issue, it's a western issue, we have greater social challenges here in South Africa? And it was at that point that I, I very quickly learned that we had to connect both the environmental and the social issues. And we had to do so in such a powerful manner and so intertwined that nobody could argue that we are responsible for the environmental degradation that we see taking place and we're responsible to ensure a more sustainable future for generations to come. You work a lot with the youth, Catherine. We're speaking this week as youth are protesting actually in in Nigeria. I think it's more widespread than that, but the, the youth have been certainly central in protesting against police brutality there. I know that in recent weeks there have been other forms of of student and and youth protests, both on the continent and off the continent. The youth are getting much more active on these issues related to the environment in the way that we just discussed, but other issues related to to society and, and to governance. Tell me about your own experience working with the youth, both through your own organization and perhaps tell us a little bit about that, but more broadly also. I think that there is no doubt that the youth of today are certainly more vocal than any other grouping of youth um, at any time in history or in our modern history. You know, we we can even date it a little bit further back even uh, to the Arab Spring. And we can look at the Arab Spring that happened and take so many lessons out of that. A critical, critical role is social media and technology and their ability to use these different devices, different applications that they have available to them to really rally mass 
mobilization on the ground. And it is so, so encouraging to see what is possible. But I think that there also needs to be a line where we say, what, firstly, what is our value proposition? What is the set of values that we hold ourselves accountable, even as young people? Because here in South Africa, we saw the Fees Must Fall campaign, which happened also uh, not so long ago. And when we look at what it is that activism is and what that fine line is between activism and destruction, we really need to be very, very careful. And I think that that goes for young people the world over. I've had the privilege of working with young people over many, many years, and I'm continually inspired by the innovation, the creativity, the thought process. I don't know at what point it is that as adults, we lose that ability to really just see things for what they are. And instead, we try to complicate things so much that we create such a web of chaos that it's a really difficult journey to try and find solutions that were actually blatantly obvious. And I mm. think that young people world over have really, really, they've stepped up to the plate. They are really showing us what is possible and what young people are capable of. We also see across the continent and even around the world, younger people taking really powerful positions in governments, parliaments, and I think that that's also an encouraging move towards the kind of future we want to see when we talk about leadership. And I think that, you know, there are so many examples of wonderful climate activists who are really young, that have really taken the world by storm and have put the climate on the agenda in a way that we haven't been able to before. Yes, I'm thinking climate in, in the way that you just mentioned, the role and contribution of the youth, which is very pronounced in drawing these issues to our attention. Because the academics have been talking about the dangers of climate change for, for a long time. They've presented all the evidence, but we were deaf to it, or certainly my generation has appeared deaf to it. Uh, but it's really once the young and the youth grappled with it and started to do exactly as you've just referenced, that more attention was drawn to it. Perhaps if I think about... Ms. Malala and, and education. Education is another field where I think the youth have been very vocal. But actually, in broader leadership roles, the youth are underrepresented, woefully underrepresented, particularly on our continent. Our continent is, is mainly old people who are in leadership roles. I'm just looking this morning, in fact, I was, there are a number of elections happening in West Africa, one starting this weekend, an octogenarian standing for a third term. And our political leadership is for the most part, very old. What can be done? Well, how would you characterize our leadership and what can be done to um, encourage more, more young people to get into leadership roles? Marcus, I have to just firstly just say that when we talk about leadership, when we talk about education, climate change, and most specifically climate change, I think that for far too long, we use the wrong kind of narrative to try and really educate the mass populations yeah. of the world. And I think that young people have really just extrapolated the information, the actual information that we need, and they've found a way to really share this information. Scientists spoke science instead yeah. of really trying to create a narrative that was understandable and one where we could connect ourselves to the climate crisis. We now find ourselves so many years down the track where we've lost years of impact and climate action. And I really think that young people have really just extrapolated the important information. When we look at leadership, I think 
We need to keep pushing. We need to keep holding governments accountable. We have to be more proactive at ensuring that younger people are getting the positions that they should be holding. However, that takes a journey of leadership. That requires that we have almost like a pipeline of young leaders who are able, capable, and are ready to take up leadership roles. Because I think if we also interrogate many different community elections across the continent at a very rural base and within our urban environments, if we just look at even municipal elections, those that are standing for councillor, we need to ask ourselves, but where are the young leaders? We need them to be at the grassroots level, standing up, ready to take on positions and capable to take up those leadership roles. And I think that we need to rethink leadership in the sense that Leadership and politics is is one thing. And we need young people who are committed to building the continent that are there for the long haul of how do we fundamentally change and shift the narrative of Africa? How do we really, really ensure that people are taking up leadership roles, not so that they have a a position and power, but they're able to really implement and so change into the communities that they come from. And I think that we have become so numb to corruption, mm. to to a lack of, of young, fresh leadership, that we have just become complacent. I know that from a South African perspective, even from a SADC region, you know, we, we're so complacent with what happens around us. Every single day, there are stories of corruption, of, of leadership that has gone terribly wrong. And we're just numb to it. So we have to really rethink for ourselves, reanalyze what it is that we want when we think about leadership and leaders. And we need to be ensuring that we are bringing into power younger people who have a commitment to the building of our continent, not a commitment to building an economic wealth for themselves and their families years down the line. And we need people that are really good civil servants who are there to really build from the ground. And you're encouraged by what you see, are you? I mean, you do a lot of work with with youth and you you lead a youth organization yourself. You're encouraged by what you see in terms of the ethics and values and approach of today's youth. I am. However, I do think that it's really very much a a fragile space as well. I Mm. think that young people are also aggravated by the lack of leadership that they see. I think that the empty promises that we continue to see um, being given to us during election years is something that is really problematic. But young people need to be encouraged to continue questioning um, that that is going on around them in their very communities. I think that people need to start thinking more locally. Don't think about the national problems. Think about the problems of where you are, the community or the village or the city that you live in. Think about what it is that you you want change, and how you could be that agent of change in that very space. You then start to grow that area of focus, but you can become an example and you start to see how you're shifting the narrative in the community next to you and the community next to that. It really takes small efforts that are collective in their focus and their vision. And we do have incredible and remarkable young people who are seeing the world very differently and are growing up in a very different Africa to what perhaps their parents even did 30 years ago. And I think that we have to understand that a changing continent as part of a very global community, very much so, we need to ensure that we continue to inspire young people 
and we continue to give them safe spaces to be able to speak their truth and to find ways owners of their own agency. That's um, very inspiring. I want to conclude, if I may, Catherine, by asking you about a recent appointment that you've accepted. You're the Earthshot Prize Ambassador. For our listeners who don't know about the Earthshot Prize, please will you introduce this and tell us what your, your role involves? I'm, I'm truly, truly honored to, to be a part of this global campaign. This was launched just a few days ago by Prince William and Sir David Attenborough. And this is a prize that will be, it is certainly the most um, significant prize in history, specifically focused on climate and environmental change. So there are five different categories, and our call to action is for people around the world to really share with us their innovation, their creativity, their impact from an environmental and climate space. It is so important that now more than ever, in the next 10 years, we really zone in to the climate crisis and emergency that we see unraveling across the world. And there are so many young people that people and community programs around the world are doing remarkable things. So this prize specifically sets out to find those wonderful stories, share a different climate change, not one that is just doom and gloom, but one that really gives us hope and inspiration and makes us think differently when we think about all that needs to be done and all that is possible because of these stories of people from around the world. For more information for what exactly is required to be able to enter the Earthshot Prize, you can go to earthshotprize.org and all the information is there. But it is really an honor to be able to be an ambassador for this campaign. It is a 10-year project and certainly one that is going to have remarkable impact in communities around the world and will really set to inspire a new generation of people who think about the world in a more sustainable manner and one in which we all understand that we all have a huge, huge responsibility and a huge impact to make. Great. Great to learn more about that, that initiative. Thank you. Now, earlier when we were speaking, and I should say for our audience, this is the first time that, that you and I have met, but earlier when you were speaking, you were saying you're not quite sure how you ended up in boardrooms. I can see exactly why presence has been requested or required in boardrooms. I've spent a career surrounded by grey suits and I can honestly say that the sort of inspiration and, um, well, it's, it's infectious, your um, enthusiasm for some of these issues and the zeal you show to tackle some of these environmental and social issues and the interdependence between them that you so clearly see. So thank you, Catherine, very much for, um, for spending time with me this morning. It's been a great pleasure to speak to you. Um, you really, you really are an inspiration, and we've had some really valuable lessons about about leadership, the state of leadership on the African continent, and some encouragement about the role and the contribution and increasing contribution that that the youth are making in occupying leadership roles. Thank you so much for the honour and privilege. Thank you, Catherine.